Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will pick up the text where we left off yesterday, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. If he, that is God, did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And we'll stop there and move to the others if we get that chance, which we probably will. But we are talking about examples of God judging false teachers, uh, God judging those who have gone against his word. And we are doing this specifically because we have just made the statement at the end of chapter one that we can stand on the word of God, and that is the most sure foundation that we have. It is the most authoritative thing that we can cite and run to more than our experiences or the experiences of others, more than our emotions, any of those things. But wherever there is, um, where, wherever there is, truth proclaimed, we know that there is the unwelcome companion of orthodoxy, and that is false teaching, which is how he opens up chapter two. And what do we do with the proliferation and preponderance of false teachers that are in this world? And surely there are many today, just as there were false teachers back in the time of the of the Gospels and the writing of the New Testament. It seems uh, just by sheer numbers and the world population that there are even more today. And if we feel overwhelmed by them, what assurances do we have that God will actually bring them to justice and judge their false teaching? And so we rest on this idea going from verses 4 to 10 that God is powerful enough to protect you and me from the dangers of false teaching. And how do we see that? Well, we see this big conditional argument where he gives several examples. If God can do this, and if God did this, and he did this, and this, and this, and this, and this, then he can do this. And so one of the first uh, condition that we saw, or the first example of God judging false teaching or showing power over that was seen in his judgment of angels. That was verse four. And we could have gone long on that. Uh, I, I did go long, but could have gone much, much longer. But uh, hopefully we kind of gave that in a nutshell so that we understand and can make that correlation between Genesis chapter 6, uh, the fall of Satan, and what Peter says here in this text, as well as Jude and in Revelation, when he has chained them and bound them and judged them until the final judgment when he will unleash his judgment upon the world and he'll actually use those uh, that rebelled against him early on in creation. But secondly, and this is where we jump into the text today in verse 5, God's power over false teaching is seen through the Noahic judgment, which we just read about. It's seen in the Noahic judgment. So as we consider this judgment during Noah's day, we see that it was a judgment over all the living. Verse 5, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood of upon the world of the ungodly. 
it was a judgment over all all the living and really we could be more specific there on all the air breathing uh, world from the ancient world so what we're talking about is the world that existed prior to the flood and to be honest it's a world that we know little about uh, the world and the geologic layers when we look at the rock columns and the sediment layers, we can understand this to some degree. Uh, things are laid down very rapidly and we have mass fossilization. And by the way, fossilization of uh, soft tissue is something that can't happen over long periods of time because soft tissue would be eaten by scavengers and deteriorate away. So it had to be something that happened very rapidly. Uh, we have pictures and glimpses of it, but the best we know of the world prior, you know, that Noah grew up in for the first 600 years of his life really is recorded for us in scripture. Uh, the rest of the world was just wiped out. And so we can piece together a little bit about that world. And one of the texts that we go to, I think we mentioned this the other day, was Genesis chapter 6, verse 7. And uh, this is now getting past the Nephilim, but we're looking at the just sheer preponderance of evil and wickedness in the world. And here's what the text says in Genesis 6, 7. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. By the way, that is uh, a great verse to go to to begin to lay the case after the fall for uh, what is often referred to in Scripture as total and complete depravity of mankind. We see it then and we notice uh we notice it right away afterwards. Noah was found favor in his eyes, but again, uh, we see that. And God says, even after the flood and the floodwaters recede, he makes this statement again. And he says that he now, it's not that he didn't understand man, but he's now not going to judge the world that way again. Uh, but it's, as we'll see later in Peter, he's going to judge it in a, in a actually much worse way in a much more thorough way. So then the text goes on to say in Genesis uh, six, seven, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. So there is where we get the idea that everything that has the breath of life in them uh, and air breathing creatures. And so there is left over the idea that something in the sea and water-dwelling animals could have lived and survived, even though there probably was a mixture of fresh and salt water uh, and, and so forth. But we, we understand that it doesn't seem to indicate that Noah needed to bring fish and whales and sharks onto the ark. Going ahead a few verses in Genesis 6, we continue to read this, starting in verse 11 and 12. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So this is a judgment over all the living for their rebellion against God and what God had revealed to them. But... In the midst of that, we are to learn a couple of things. God does judge and has judged in the past, but he also preserves. 
Now, this is a little bit different than the preceding example of the angels because once, and the scriptures kind of give this, we, we piece this together logically, but once there was a, an initial fall and rebellion of a portion of the angelic host, it doesn't seem that they're able to decide to rebel again, nor is their redemption provided for them. Uh, so there was no need to preserve a remnant, uh, but here as he judges all living things and man who he has created in his image, uh, there has to be a preservation. And by the way, there's some theological reasons for that. Number one, there does have to be somebody righteous in his eyes. And so he declares that to be Noah, but remember the promise that he had made to Eve and you know, there's some, we could go down some rabbit trails here because probably when they heard that initial proto gospel, the first gospel in Genesis 3.15, they probably thought that uh, we, Abel was the one who was going to uh, be the one to crush the head of the serpent, right? Their first son or, you know, then Cain, but then Cain is the, the murderer, and, and then is it Seth? Well, then, then we've discovered that it's not any of them. And now we've made it all the way down to Noah's line. God still has not fulfilled his promise to Adam and Eve that through the seed of the woman, the head of the serpent would be crushed. And so there is a logical and theological necessity for the preservation of some because he has to keep his word, but he can blot out 99.99999%, uh, which he does. So this is a pretty catastrophic judgment here, uh, and he shows just how seriously he takes rebellion against his word. But we see this preservation, which then gives nod to preservation that's going to come in the future. By the way, the next judgment that Peter will talk about in chapter 3, which Revelation goes into great detail about is going to be even worse in many ways because it's going to involve the complete destruction, not only of the world through fire, but or through water, but this time of the world through fire, but more will be saved at the end of that. And, but the world will basically be, uh, remade at following this incredible global earthquake and all the waters turning to blood and things like that. I mean, there's just crazy things that happen, uh, in Daniel's 70th week that result in pure uh, judgment on the world, which by the way, is this judgment that we're talking about, how God will judge false teachers. But even through that, he's going to preserve many. So he is going to preserve Noah's family, Genesis 6 verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Incredible, incredible statement there. And he is called, uh, by the way, in this text, a herald of righteousness. So there is something here that that gives us indication to other things that he was doing besides just being a shipwright, uh, the builder of the ark, right? This has to do with what he taught. And that's not immediately evident in the Genesis account when he says that Noah finds favor in his eyes and he gives him instructions and exact measurements of the ark. We're not told that he's preaching, but here a herald is somebody who declares uh, what God is doing and he's declaring God's message. And it really ties back to the whole idea of false teachers versus people who are proclaiming the truth, which is why I think that that comes out here with the account of Noah. Genesis 7, 1, then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Only Peter gives hint 
as to the message that was proclaimed at that time, and he does so explicitly here, uh, not only here, but also in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, because they formerly did not obey, Peter says in his first epistle, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. Incredible statement there. What did they have to obey? Well, it was whatever Noah was preaching, which is told to us explicitly in verse 5, that he was a herald of righteousness in which few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So both in Peter's first epistle and his second epistle, there is a reference to Noah as a preacher of God's message and a herald of righteousness. So it's not a far stretch to imagine people coming to Noah, right, and asking him about an ark that he was building on dry land, and they're mocking him and they're laughing at him. In fact, Because of this verse, we know that he had some encounters with people and he proclaimed God's message. So he's a herald of righteousness and God will reward him for that. And he is brought safely through as saved by the ark. And by the way, that ark is a type, right, of of Jesus. Jesus is the ark of our salvation. Uh, And not only did he save Noah, but also seven others, Peter says explicitly here, who believed the message that Noah preached. And we know that not all family is given guaranteed, right? Because not everybody in Lot's family uh, believed the message. It sounds like his daughters had other people that they may have known, but they refused to listen. And then even his wife, though she initially went, she had second thoughts and did not obey the word of God, and it cost her her life, Lot's wife. Uh, So it's very interesting that we're told that his wife and then his son's And his son's wives were saved through that. And it's very clearly because uh, indicated that it was because they believed. And we're actually told this in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse seven, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, He condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So again, we find that especially according to 1 Peter 3, verse 20, that they did not obey, that the ungodly of the ancient world were deceived by false teaching. And we see how seriously God takes false teaching. He thoroughly judged the fallen angels, and now he thoroughly judged the ungodly of the antediluvian world, which was everybody. We don't even know the number of the world at that time, probably millions. Maybe it was a billion. Maybe it was more. We, But it was a lot of people. And out of all those people, only eight were saved. So God definitely has the power to do that. And his power over false teaching is seen through the Noahic judgment. Well, we'll end our discussion there and then we'll come back and look at the last two, hopefully in the next episode, where we will begin to see even more thoroughly that God definitely judges false teaching and we can have assurance that he will judge all the false teachers around us today. And that gives us cause therefore, to stay all the more to the word of truth, does it not? If if God does this, and he does it with angels who pervert his word, and he does it to the entire world in Noah's day, and then we're going to see a couple more strong examples, this should spur us on if we have that confidence in the word of God that we were told that we could have at, all through chapter 1, 
then no matter what the false teachers are doing, no matter what the indicators are, even if they prosper in their greed for a little bit of time and it seems that they're getting their way and they have all of life's creature comforts, but they're still disobeying the word of God, it's it's <laughs> be like the apostles in the book of Acts. Let God be true, though every man is a liar. We've got to stand with the word of God because he will reward those who follow him by faith and he will bring into judgment those who take his word and corrupt it and twist it. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.